Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. My name is Blake. I am super happy to be here. Um, it's kind of cool getting to preach this message. Um, I have gotten to speak on a multitude of first-year services, and uh, it's just cool because psychologically, uh, there was an article that was done recently in uh, the Psychological Journal. Um, there was actually five different studies that were done that shows that we are more open to change Whenever we have these temporal moments, uh, such as Mondays or New Year's Day or birthdays, uh, and it's just really cool because we feel like that we have been relieved of our past guilt, our past failures, and our past shames. So I think it's super awesome that it's taken psychology 2,000 years to figure out something that I vaguely remember about the Bible. Uh, and so and whenever we don't have this guilt and the shame uh, that, that we have from ourselves and we don't have the past failures and past regrets, uh, it makes us more open uh, to really to thinking about changing the life. And it feels like that we have more power to do it. Uh, so just basically where we're located at on a calendar, um, this message might be the most impactful message that you've ever heard in your entire life uh, because tomorrow's Monday. And so we can hit the ground running. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, ain't nobody starting a diet on Thursday. It ain't happening, man. I mean, what was the last time that you said, you know what, it's Thursday, like it's time to change everything about my life. No, you don't do it. Uh, you don't do it at all, man. Uh, you you got to wait for a Monday, man. You have to wait for a Monday. Uh, but this being the first of the year, uh, I think it's really neat because we get to have a fresh start. Uh, that's what it's called. Uh, it's called the fresh start effect. And uh, with that fresh start effect, it allows us to change something. My wife, Ashley, and I, uh, we get to pastor uh, M18 Recovery, uh, which is our men's ministry, uh, one thing that we have an immense amount of faith in is the transformational power of Christ. We get to see it day in and day out. Like uh, there, there's a guy, Harmon, one of our new residents, Sean, new resident. Uh, it's amazing what a set, set of clippers will do. Uh, two of the best looking guys in here, man. They, they come in strung out. And now they look like they go to Harding, not just any Bible college, but a Church of Christ Bible college. So I'm telling you, man, like these dudes look phenomenal. I walked in and they're over there with Bible highlighters and all kind of stuff. And I'm like, holy cow, man. But it's a testament to the transformational power of Christ. Like some people believe in God for provision, but they don't believe, you know, that he'll heal you. Some people believe that God will heal you, but they don't believe he can change you. And so we have faith in different categories. And uh, one of the categories that Ashley and I, we have immense amount of faith in is the transformational power of Christ. And so any message that I speak from this stage, that's what my bent is going to be. It's going to be about transforming your life, about changing your life, about letting God come into your life and do some work, man. Uh, so basically, what I want to talk about today is uh, I think that it's super important uh, that we constantly change. I think it's super important that we constantly reinvent ourselves. Uh, there's things that I let in my life this week that I might not want in next week. Uh, there's so many things that we continually do that every now and then we have to take a purge. We have to take an inventory and think about the things that we want to leave in our life versus the things that we don't. It's been our call in life to become more like Christ. And in order to do that, 
we have to consistently look at what we've allowed in our lives and who we've become. Because if we don't know who we are or who we've become, then we don't know what our belief systems truly are at this point in life. Because I'm telling you, the world will invade and the world will come into your belief system and it will make you think things that are differently that don't actually line up with what the Word of God says. Uh, And it's really important that we constantly take inventory of that. Uh, Within motivated individuals, The reason I say motivated is because there's another class of individuals that are highly unmotivated, Uh, they're extremely lazy, they don't care at all about changing their lives, and in fact, I I think that if we were to be honest, that their only thing that they're doing is going through the motions. We see this a lot. Uh, I I see this time and time again, And, and what I pray for you is if you are an unmotivated individual, like if you don't have the desire in your life to become more like Christ, if you don't have the desire in your life for godly living, that by the time that this message is over, that the Lord will have lit a fire inside of you that is undeniable and it makes you want to transform your life. But within motivated individuals, there's two main problems that I've discovered that I've witnessed over time that have to do with preventing us from growing. First, we are unaware of the areas in our life that need work. Like we don't know, like they're blind spots. We can't, we can't see them personally. We, we can't see the spots in our life that need growth. So M18 Recovery, we are blessed. Uh, we get to clean buildings in downtown Little Rock. Uh, we clean buildings uh, for a lot of residential properties. So here, here's the thing. Now, we are a bunch of ex- drug-addicted men cleaning buildings up to the standard of a very well-put-together woman, all right? Does anyone already see the problem with this, all right? And so, so we have spots in the buildings that we need course-corrected. Like, we have things that we need pointed out to us. Over time, we we have things that we're not necessarily acing, but we need people to show us. Uh, This is much like whenever I got married, uh, my wife pointed out to me I had an anger problem. Um, I thought because I didn't go Incredible Hulk and throw chairs and punch walls that I was anger-free. Turns out I'm not. Um, So this really flares up. Uh, What exacerbates it is uh, fast food restaurants. And... uh, Subway in particular. And um, look, okay, so when you put cheese down on the sandwich, there's a way that you can put the triangles in which that they cover the entire sandwich. And if you can't get that right, I don't feel like you should be able to wear the title of sandwich artist. (laughs) I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, One time I actually, uh, I, I made a girl cry because I told her that. And uh, no, I'm not a monster. Come on, guys. I didn't really tell her that. But I thought it in my heart, okay? And, and, and the thing is, is it's anger. No matter how you want to sugarcoat it, we, we put these tags on it. We say, well, I'm just irritated. Well, I'm just agitated. We put these little cutesy camouflage words when at the end of it, if you want to get down to the root, it's anger. But I didn't see it. My wife said, hey, uh, if you're not mad, you really need to let your face know because that's not what you're expressing to anyone else right now. Everyone else thinks you hate them. And so she tells me that from time to time. And so I, uh, I just want you guys to know that it's okay. Uh, we, we have blind spots in our life. And uh, David, he actually, he, he prays this prayer in uh, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
point out anything in me that offends you and leads me along the path of everlasting life. You see, David, he needed someone to point out the things in him that were not like Christ. Like he asked for help. He asked for the power of the Holy Spirit to give him divine revelation into what could change him because he had a desire. He had a need. He was motivated. He was someone who wanted to do his best to become like Christ. And uh, the three things that I feel like that are ways that we can identify these blind spots that we have in life are one, first and foremost, the word of God. It's got to be our ultimate authority. No matter what we do in life, it is the word of God that is our true north. Second, Bible-believing believers, people around you, they'll tell you, they'll help you out, they'll guide you in life. And third, revelation from the Holy Spirit, just like David prayed. He prayed for the Holy Spirit to reveal to him the ways in which that he could be more like Christ. Uh, so many people, they claim to be spiritual, um, but in fact, you know, they're, they're, they're not trying to be more Christ-like at all. But the second problem that we have with motivated Christians is we have defined our own morality. This is a problem, all right? So there is absolute danger. Like if I can see any problem that we have in America today, it is people that define their own morality. Uh, I guess since becoming a Christian, I've actually been inside this little holy huddle uh, because I didn't know how bad this was. Recently, Ashley and I, we got an opportunity to go speak uh, at an event. Getting tangled. They had cordless mics. But uh, I'm getting a, uh, uh, <laughs> we had an opportunity to go speak at an event, and uh, we're in the recovery world which the recovery world is obsessed with inclusion. Uh, and, and you can only be so inclusive before you start getting really weird. And the, uh, the, the thing is, is whenever we got to speak, I got to share the stage with a rabbi, with a, uh, with a khalifa, like with, with all these people from these other religions. And they were all preaching this message of trying to be inclusive. And it really becomes like this universalist message about all pathways and uh, no matter which way you choose, like it's like one God, like we're all worshiping the God. It's just different pathways to him. And like, it's a really, really, really appealing uh, thing because you don't have to have conflict with anyone. Uh, and, and so therefore, if you have no conflict, it makes things go a lot smoother. But there's this one teeny, tiny, little, huge problem in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Huge problem. So this universalist thing in which that it sounds so good and you get to claim that you're spiritual and that you have all these ideologies about how that we're all supposed to get along and love is love and it's just whatever goes and all pathways lead to heaven. It's inaccurate. Like, like, I mean, everything about it is wrong. It sums it up in that one verse. It sounds so sweet to the ears, but it's inaccurate. So many people claim to be spiritual, but the problem with spirituality is we get to define our own morality. That's a problem. Check this out, man. This story is super graphic, but I'm going to tell it because I think it's a really good illustration. Whenever I was 29 years old, I was so strung out on drugs, man. Like, I promise you did not want to be around me. I could not have hung out with myself 
for any, like, like old me, like I would have kicked me out of the car. It, it, I, I was rancid in my speech, my communication. Uh, it was just, it was a bad ordeal. So 29 years old, I remember I'm sitting in the parking lot of this uh, Mexican restaurant called Miranchito in Batesville, Arkansas, and I was with my 13-year-old sister. Have any of you guys ever given wisdom to someone? Have you guys ever like imparted like life wisdom on someone. So the, uh, the advice that I give my little sister this day, and this is what keeps me humble and makes me realize what life's like without Christ. I remember the conversation and I told her, I said, sis, here's the deal. Everybody's going to drink. I was like, just drink in moderation. Don't drink and drive. I said, look, I said, if you do cocaine, I was like, just do enough to sober up. I was like, because the drug sucks. I said, here's the deal. I said, smoke all the weed you want. I was like, ain't nobody ever died from smoking weed. I was like, look, I was like, be careful of any drug that people are doing sexual favors for. I said, stay away from meth, stay away from opiates, stay away from pain pills. And, and then I told her, and I said, and here's the deal. I said, just make sure that if you do acid, you do mushrooms first. I said, and make sure that you are surrounded by positive people. I said, because it will make your trip go exponentially better. Okay, 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 back up. In this process, I was actually looking out for my little sister. <laughs> I was well within the parameters of my morality. I was. I was doing this for her good. I was doing this for her safety. I was doing this to ensure that she lived a happy life, all right? So within the parameters of my own morality, which I got to define, I just told a 13-year-old to do cocaine. That's what we're doing when we define our own morality. Essentially, we are telling a 13-year-old to do cocaine. We don't have permission to do that, right? We have to look at something higher than ourselves and not higher than me that day because I was super high. But we have to look at something higher than ourselves. We have to have a defined set of values that are put in place by something that is out of this world. And if you're in this church, I hope that you believe that is Jesus Christ and that the Bible is God's holy word. And that is where that we define our morality from. So when we define our own morality, there are so many dangers. But what I think more than anything else, and this is what terrifies me, is that there are so many motivated believers out there that have defined their own morality. They've allowed the media, they've allowed society, they've allowed the things that they listen to, they've allowed cultural pressures, they've allowed so many things to infiltrate which once was a solid faith rooted and grounded in Christianity and Bible-believing principles and the pressure of the world has got to them. And so now they have conformed to the patterns of the world as opposed to not conforming, which it tells us in Romans chapter 12. Look, this is just a warning, guys. I'm telling you, get back to where you started. Get back to the Bible. And it shouldn't surprise us, guys. It shouldn't surprise us at all that this is happening. Paul, he writes to his young protege, Timothy. He says, uh, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Bro, have any of you guys ever had a mentor? <laughs> and have they ever opened up a sentence like that? <laughs> because I'm telling you, whenever somebody says something like that, you might want to lean in and listen. Uh, he says, preach the word. That's his first sentence. After that gigantic charge, he says, preach the word. He says, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, 
encouraged. He doesn't say just casually go along with whatever's happening. Like he says, preach the word the way that it's written and then correct people on the way that they're living their life because we don't need to be someone who just has the ability to define their own morality and do whatever they want. We need parameters in life. If not, we'll end up telling a 13-year-old to do cocaine. That is the message of this story. If we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe in the word of God, and it is our responsibility to utilize that to determine how that we live life. It's not us. We don't have the ability. There are so many things that are in the Bible that I wish weren't there. As a pastor, as a recovery minister, I'm not even talking about so that I could do them. I'm talking about so that I don't have to tell other people they can't. Like, I wish that it was cool for you to just do whatever you wanted and not ever have to correct or rebuke or tell you that you're doing anything different. As a society, man, we are so stinking afraid to step on anyone's toes. Like, we want to be, like, I'm not saying go out there and just intentionally be somebody that goes out there and just offends everyone for the sake of offending or just goes out there and posts offendable things on social media just for the sake of offending. But what I am saying is that if you have close, intimate relationship with someone and you have the ability to see their flaws and they profess to be a Christian, you have the authority to call them out. Did you know that? And if you don't, who's going to? If the people that they have relationship with is going to allow them to walk straight down the path to hell, who are they going to? What, some stranger? Are you waiting on someone standing on the street corner with a microphone to call them out for their sin? No, it's our responsibility. Above all else, the word of God has to be the ultimate authority in our life. We can't become so indoctrinated with the world's viewpoints that we forget what our authority is. Uh, in fact, there was once time that uh, we, I was in the, the regeneration recovery, and uh, it, it was kind of weird because there was someone who had mentioned to me, they was like, hey, they said, uh, I know that you've got somebody reading a verse of Scripture uh, tonight. They said, uh, is there any way that you could, uh, you could have them change that? It wasn't a leader, uh, but, but it was someone that wanted me to omit a scripture from the word of God in order to appease people that was in the audience. How crazy is that? Like, would you read any scripture in the Bible in context from a stage? You like to think so, right? But then it comes down to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, where it says, don't you realize that those of you who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, who are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, are thieves, or greedy people, drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. I was like that. I was horribly addicted. I should, I'm telling you, the stories that I could tell you about the sexual immorality that was in my life that was fueled by my meth addiction... I was one of those people, and so were you. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, because Jesus, he loves you so much that he's not gonna leave you where you lay. He's gonna take you out of your mess, he's gonna pick you up, he's gonna cleanse you, and he's gonna put you on a firm foundation so that you can build the rest of your life, but not if you don't tell anybody and you start omitting text from the Bible. The word of God is the ultimate authority in our life in its entirety, and we cannot allow the world to define 
what we believe and what we don't believe. It is our job to protect our hearts with vigilance and stop allowing things in our eyes and in our ears that are going to change that and to surround yourself by people that can hold your arms up whenever you are weak. That is what our job as Christian believers is this year. The Word of God is our ultimate authority. So here's what I want you guys to ponder. Ponder this. If God were to write you a letter, like if God were to just handwrite you a letter and deliver it to you every year, December 31st, you check the mailbox, there it is, gave you a rundown of your year, told you areas that you were strong in, told you areas that you didn't really do so well in, told you the condition of your heart, told you where you might want to pick it up, gave you an analytic report of your year. Would you read it? Yeah, I think we would all have to say yes. <laughs> now, would you, would you work on what he told you to? I mean, we say yes. But would we? Really? Like, I don't know. It's to each his own, man. I know that some people would. Some people would try. Some people would look at it and be like, oh, yeah, I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. You know what I mean? Like, they get all meatloaf on us. And so it's a thing, man, that we think that we want to do with the will of God. We're like in church, like, oh, here I am, Lord, send me. I'm the one. And then as soon as we walk out the door, we're like, eh, maybe, maybe it ain't. <laughs> I just look at this, man, and I think about what we would or would not do. Because here's the thing. God actually did this for seven lucky churches in the book of Revelation. Seven churches God analyzed, told them their faults, told them their strong points, told them what they needed to work on. Uh, it's so neat. I, I know a lot of you guys may or may not have actually been in the book of Revelation. In fact, I typically tell some of my guys, I'm like, look, just stay out of there. You got, you got four months to develop a relationship with Christ. There's not a whole lot in the book of Revelation you need to know other than the fact that we win. But I will tell you, in chapters 2 and 3, there are seven letters to seven churches and it is very clear. It's very plain. Like, you, you don't have to have an interpreter. You don't have to have a Bible degree. Uh, you can understand these. And uh, as a matter of fact, it actually says at the end of every letter, it says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying about the churches. So that applies to us. It says anyone with ears to hear. Uh, the, and so that is us. I hope that we have ears, and I hope that we want to hear with those ears. But uh, I want to look at one of the letters today. Uh, it's the letter that John, he wrote to the church of uh, Laodicea, and uh, I, I think that this letter is super powerful. It's uh, one that I think applies to us as much today as it ever has. Um, but John starts out the letter in Revelations 3, chapter, uh, verse 15 and 16. He says, I know all the things that you do. You are neither hot or cold. I wish that you were one of them. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a powerful symbolism. Can we be hot or cold? Here's the deal, though. You, you need to know that when it says hot or cold, a little interpretation thing, uh, it's not thinking about how we would think that if you were cold, you were far away from God. And if you were hot, you were closer to. In fact, uh, the church of Laodicea, they would know exactly what um, John was writing in this letter. And what happened was they were living in a thriving community in a city, but they didn't have any springs of their own. 
And so w- what happened was they built aqueducts uh, from Heropolis and from Colossia, and, and they, they got one source from hot springs that were super refreshing and known for their healing powers, and they got the other from snow-capped mountains. And so the water at its source was hot for one, and it was cold from the other. But by the time it had traveled the 11 miles to the church or to the, to the community, it was lukewarm. And so what, what John's writing in this letter is he's not saying that I either want you to be close to me or I want you to be far away from me uh, because God wishes that we were all close to him. He wishes that you were refreshing. He wishes that you were close to him. He wishes that you were someone that was fulfilling the purpose that had on your life. And so the first thing I want us to do this year is I want us to be radical in our faith. Can we do that? Like in all circumstances, give thanks to God. Like just be radical in your faith. Like, look, Lord, like I apologize for everything that I have done leading up to this point, but this year moving forward, I want to be radical for you. Man, I just love, love, love being around addicts. It's the coolest thing ever. Uh, I get to be around people that they only have one speed. It's just a matter of which direction are they pointed in, (laughs) right? You never have to worry about where an addict stands. Addiction pretty much is training camp for how to sacrifice your life for something. And so it makes Jesus an easy fit. And I think that we have a lot that we can learn from that community because addicts will forsake their friends, they'll forsake their family, they'll forsake all type of financial gain, and they'll put it all in for one thing. And I think as a church this year, we can be radical and we can make that one thing Jesus. Look, when I say be radical, there's some negative connotations oftentimes that come along with it. You think about people that are, you know, protesting and people that are out there burning down buildings and they're doing all types of crazy stuff. Look, that's not radical at all. Like, that's actually whenever it's radical, just not radical Christianity. What I'm talking about being radical is I'm talking about being like Christ. Whenever we go all in for Christ, look look what Christ did. Christ, whenever he stood silently before his accusers, He was getting beat, he was getting spit on, and he didn't say a word. Had every right to defend himself. He was right in every circumstance and situation. But what did he do? He stood silent. How does that apply to us? When's the last time you got attacked on social media? Did you stand silent or did you kick the beehive? I'm telling you, it's Christ-like living. Whenever Christ was in the presence of people that were caught in sin, he didn't hold back the truth but yet he called them out in a way that made them have a repentant heart and made the people around them want to put their stones down. That's being radical for Christ. Whenever he was in the presence of mourning, what did he do? He had empathy. He cried with them. Being radical means being like Christ. Whenever he was presented with the treacherous task of hanging on a cross to die for our sins, and he didn't even understand it, he said, Lord, is there anything else we can do? He chose obedience. He said, not my will, but yours be done. That's living a radical life. Second thing I want to do in 2022, guys, is be dependent upon Christ. The church at Laodicea, it's actually written by a scholar, a Roman writer that said that the church at Laodicea got leveled by an earthquake in about the year of 60. A man named Tacitus wrote this. And... uh, They had so much wealth. The city of Rome 
wanted to build their city back for them, and they simply replied, no, thank you. We can do it on our own. Jesus cannot operate in self-sufficiency. If we think we have it all together, we are in a place in the same place that the church in Laodicea was. You see, Jesus, he writes, he says, or John writes Jesus' words, he says, so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you will not be ashamed of your nakedness and buy ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. This gets a little tricky if you don't know the context and the history. You see, uh, Colossia uh, was actually a trade center that had many banks, and so they were proud of their gold. They were proud of their wealth. Uh, they had an awesome textile industry in which they produced black wool, uh, and so that they would send that wool out as an export. And so they also had a medical college that made this eye ointment. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, trade in everything that you think you know that makes you self-sufficient and trade it for me to open your eyes spiritually. Everything in this world that this world has to offer is fading, but what we do for Christ is eternal. Can we look at our lives and can we see if any of this is true? Like if any of this rings true for us, if we got into a place where we're no longer dependent upon God and wish that we are so proud and we are so self-sufficient as a society, as a church, uh, that we're no longer allowing Christ to participate in our activities of daily living. Uh, I think it's awesome. Uh, I, I see people that have been dependent upon Christ, and I actually want to celebrate that. Uh, this year, uh, there are some people that have had some remarkable changes in their life. Uh, if you guys look at Amber, uh, you'll see Amber walking around uh, all the, with smiles on. She's helping. She's serving. Uh, that was Amber 11 years ago. 11 years ago, she lost custody of her uh, children. They adopted them out. And this year, after following Christ, continually trusting in God, being dependent upon Christ, following through the motions, 11 years. Even when it doesn't seem like it's going to happen, this year was the first year that she got to spend Christmas with her family. How amazing is that, that we serve a God of redemption? Next, look at JJ. Some of you guys can see JJ in here, man. JJ, he uh, spent the bulk of his life in and out of prisons, in and out of incarceration, uh, spent his whole life drug addicted. Uh, I remember he spent, uh, he's probably about two years clean now. The whole time he was at M18, he was wondering how to get back in his daughter's life because his daughter was 18, about to be years old. Uh, he didn't know how to be weird about it on social media like he was praying about it. He sought counsel. Uh, he kept doing the next right thing, doing the next right thing, doing the next right thing. And so now not only does JJ have his daughter back in his life, but he gets to raise another little boy whose dad passed away from an overdose. Can we get an amen on that? And last but not least, man, my buddy Dakota. Dakota coming here stumbling off the sidewalk, high as a kite, been doing fentanyl in his AA sponsor's bathroom, lying to everybody about it, accidentally come in off the streets, and we ended up taking him in M18. That was a picture of Dakota high as a kite with his son not being a father of all, and that's a picture of Dakota this Christmas with his entire family being a patriarch. Can we get a hand? Hey, But all of this comes with being dependent on Christ and leaning on the word, not your own understanding. There's things that we don't get, we don't have to get. There's things that we're never gonna know this side of heaven. But the bottom line is this year, number three, the thing I want us to do is to be repentant in your spirit. You see, God, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you can be repentant in your spirit, and all repentance is, is it's just being sorry. 
being, being remorseful for the things that you've done against God. It's asking God to forgive you of the things, admitting your wrongdoing, and then turning towards him. It's not just a matter of being sorry about it, but then it's turning towards Christ and turning towards the cross and allowing him to restore you. See the closing right here in the letter in Revelation 3.19. It says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I think it's so cool how it says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. God's saying, hey, look, it's in the bad thing, guys. <laughs> I ain't mad at you. You know what I mean? Like, like it's cool. Like, we cool. Everybody, we cool. I'm not mad at all. I do this to everybody I love. If I, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't, you know? Like, if I did not love you, I wouldn't care at all. But here's what you got to do now. You got to repent. That's it. We need to be a church that is not afraid to repent. And here's what will happen in Revelation 3, 20 or 22. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking right now. He says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Christ wants to come in your life. He says, we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on the throne. There is a remedy for the sin we have in our life, and that remedy is Jesus Christ. We are never going to be perfect this side of heaven, but we do have the ability to come to the one that is and allow him to come into our life and manifest and give us his spirit that will lead us, that will guide us, that will cleanse us. We have that power. And you know what? We have it today. We don't have to wait any longer. We can ask Christ to come into our life. We can repent and he can course correct in this entire year can be different than any other year that you've ever had because of the closeness and the relationship that you have and you've begun to understand that the true authority that we have in life for our morality is the word of God. 